This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. A new normal for Manchester City off the pitch as the game with Arsenal was played with socially distant subs, disinfected equipment and no fans in the stadium. But there was nothing different about the team's performance. Three goals, a dominant display and hold the back page, a penalty that was scored. But they weren't the only headlines as Eric Garcia was stretched off after a nasty clash with Edison and off the pitch situations dominated discussions with players wearing Black Lives Matter on their shirts and taking a knee before kick-off. We'll speak to former City striker Leon Mike about that shortly. Also on today's show, we'll look ahead to the matches against Burnley and Chelsea and we'll check in with Howard Hawking as well. I'm your host David Mooney and I'm joined by City fan Chris Higginbottom. Hello there. And Gold.com's Jonathan Smith. Hi David. Hi both, how are you doing? Good. Good. Chris, you well? well, thank you. Good, good. Yeah, very well, Tar. Uh, well, City are back. Um, so Chris, first off, you weren't at the game. Um, how did it feel to, to have City back? Um, honestly, felt really odd. A uh, bit bit surreal I mean we've all got opinions about what should have happened I personally think we probably should have rather than play the games without fans there just give Liverpool the title um, don't let them have a parade I don't want to rain on the parade I just don't want them to have one can't rain on a parade um, if there isn't one Exactly. Uh, big asterisks next to their name uh, in the annals of history. Season and even, unfinished. Yeah, and uh, an asterisk with, well, two asterisks actually. Was it Asteri? I don't know. But uh, one for VAR, <laughs> one for Corona. And you could even weld a big asterisk onto the trophy uh, just to just to like ram the point home. As it is, they're going to get loads of points and uh, win it having played all the games, which is not really on. Yeah, we're not bitter, honest. Um, John, oh, you, uh, you were there. Uh, what was it like in the Etihad? Yeah, obviously, it was very, very strange. Um, you know, and it, like Chris says, people are split about whether this should should carry, should carry on the rest of the season. Um, so without fans, it was just a very odd occasion. Um, and I've been to the Etihad quite a few times before without for non-match days, you know, with nobody in the stadium. So... It was only when once you got inside, how well actually trying to get inside the stadium was. It felt like I don't know. It felt like you were on the on the border of a sort of totalitarian country or something <laughs> like that. It was it was very very strict, um, you know, temperature checks and things like that, and uh, security everywhere, making sure you did not go anywhere outside the arrows, and then getting inside the ground and and it being empty and seeing, you know. The regular team and Sky pundits and things like that, and thinking, yeah, this is this is actually a Premier League match going ahead with when, nobody in the game. When, uh, when the game, game was going on, was it was it weird to be? Because obviously, when you're you're working as well, so you're you're not kind of focused one hundred percent on the game at all times. You've got bits where you where you have to get your head down and do a bit of writing. Is it then difficult not to follow the game without the crowd helping you out, sort of thing? Yeah, it is. It's it's, it's very difficult because particularly second half when you're coming towards the end. I mean. Generally, by by that time, you know, quite often City are winning two or three nil, so you can sort of start start your writing, and then when the when the attacks begin, um, you know, you get a new from the a roar from the crowd, and you and you look up and, and watch what happens. Um, so there was none of that. Uh, I mean, there was. I thought there were a few incidents where you thought, right, this is where the crowd is really missed. I, I don't know how it came across on TV. I watched a bit of it um, today. But there's a, I mean, for instance, I didn't think Anthony Taylor had a great game, but he, he missed a couple of. It, it was one uh, corner in the first half where it, it sort of, it, it just, it was clearly a, a city corner, and he he got made the wrong decision. And I, just, I thought that you know, the the players gave him a little bit, but the crowd would have gone absolutely mad over things like that. And also, Sebolas uh, Cebo, when he went down, screaming his head off. Um, I think the fans would have given him a lot of stick for those. Well, I, don't, I, I don't know if it came across on TV that how those sort of things. Yeah, well, we heard we heard the yelp 
um, from certainly from one of the challenges that he went down under. And then I, I remember thinking, oh, this could be quite nasty, actually. And then the close-up of him, he's rolling around a bit, and then he stands up to tra- start having a fight with whoever it was that had tackled him. And I, and I kind of thought, well, obviously then at this point, that's when the crowd would give him a bit and would, would kind of go for it. I mean, yeah. Chris, I, I actually yeah. found it really difficult to watch without the... I, I watched it without the crowd noise. Um, I found it really yeah. difficult to watch, to, difficult to concentrate on. Yeah, I mean, I I watched it without the fake crowd noise because I don't, I don't know. I just found it even weirder. If something's meant to be desolate and weird, let it be desolate and weird. <laughs> and I I apply that life view to football as well. Um, you know, don't don't I don't want the some weird uh, piped crowd noise in that doesn't correlate with what's happening on there. And at the same time, I think it's quite a useful exercise to listen to how the players communicate which is why I was I think, um, whether Edison made a shout uh, when he went up um, for that with, ball with where Garcia, Garcia yeah. got injured because it, it's like it's quite a, uh, it's an, an aspect of the, the the team play that you don't really you're not really privy to if there's um, you know thousands and thousands of people baying for whatever at the time so yeah i watched it with without the crowd noise and yeah it was, i don't know um it's going to take me a while to get to get used to in fact i don't think i will get used to it i don't want really want to get used to that yeah i know exactly what you mean john did were you were you close enough to guardiola and the, and the bench to be able to hear the coaching sort of stuff he was shouting I wasn't actually. I was on the other side. Um, I was next to the Arsenal dugout, so I heard a lot of what Arteta was saying, um, and it was getting increasingly frustrating as the game wore on. <laughs> um, you know, he, he he's obviously trying to teach some things, and they're not ready yet. So I think that's where that game really suited City last night. Where um, I thought they they just sort of picked up where they left off, and it was it's like they've. Be, they've they've been through it for the last three years and they've they've gradually got better and better at it and they know exactly where to be. Whereas Arteta is obviously from a similar school to Guardiola. He's learned a lot from working with him and you know it took it took Guardiola twelve months to get the team to where where he wanted them to be and Arteta is you know a long way a long way from that plus he hasn't got the players. Yeah. He's got his work cut out, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. and I think it's a shame because I think I, he would have been perfect to have to take over from Pep potentially, um, mm. but you he, he, he can't blame him for going to Arsenal. Uh, you no. know, he, he, he's he's been two two years at City as an assistant, done a great job, two brilliant seasons, and you, you think yeah, you, it was the right time for him to go out and 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 take a chance. But um, it's, I think increasingly it's going to be a big job at Arsenal. Um, and he might not even get the chance to see it through, and it might affect his reputation. And I think that might be a bit unfair. Yeah. Well, let's let's look at the uh, at the game itself uh, because it was it was an interesting team selection. I thought uh, John with uh, no stones in the squad at all. Is it like what what's it, was he injured? What was up? No, uh, he's not injured. Um, I think not fully fit. I think was the official line. So um, I think yeah, there's going to be. Before the before the game in the press conference before the game, Pep talked about how you know how they've been getting back up to full fitness, and there were a lot of concerns. And you know, City are very fortunate that they've got a big squad and they're all fit, so he he can almost pick two teams. You know, he's worried about he's saying they're ready for one game and they can play that almost like you know like anyone anyone can. I could turn up at a game tomorrow and play, but I'd be suffering for weeks after, and I certainly won't be able to play on Monday night. So he's going to have to be careful, and I think he he might make changes, almost you know six seven changes for the game against Burnley. So it's it's all it's all being cautious. Garcia starting is probably a surprise because you would think he's you know really realistically fifth choice centre back if you if you count Fernandinho. So you would put him behind La, uh, Laporte, Stones, Otamendi. So. But that, that's a credit to him of how impressive he's been since he's been with the first team. He's, he's never really made a mistake, and we you know we all want Foden to get more starts, and why not Garcia as well? What What was your reaction when you saw the team sheet, um, Chris, and you saw that that Garcia was lining up? Um, 
Well, I think the main surprise was, as my sister actually said, uh, John Stones must must be pretty gutted not to make a nine-man bench. Um, but Garcia against Arsenal, I think that's probably the perfect team to play him against. Pep's obviously looked at it in depth and he's probably trying to... I mean, for me, this, this season, as far as we're concerned, is fairly moot in terms of the league. We're not going to win it. Um, barring... Oh, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a secret uh, stupid uh, part of me that, that thinks we might, but I'm not going <laughs> to mention that to you guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a perfect get, perfect team for him to play against rather than, say, I wouldn't throw him in against Burnley. Um, Chelsea is like a step up from Arsenal. I think he's picked a battle for him there that he knows... He's more kind of suited to his age and his uh, stage of progression. I think that's a good choice. Regarding Stones, though, yeah, bit bit weird. Why? How old is Stones now? Why isn't he fully fit? I mean, I looked at a picture of him. He needs to shave his head, uh, <laughs> stop smiling all the time. He looks like he's just come back from Woodstock and learned the guitar and gone, hey, Pep, don't worry about it. Pick Garcia, man. It's like... You know, stay off the brown acid, John. Get yourself sorted. <laughs> look mean. Look keen. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna criticize anybody's hair during lockdown because mine is not. A, not it, mine's a bit of a state. I'm not gonna lie. Um, mine was mainly jealousy. Though. Yeah. Guess, uh... <laughs> uh, John Sane was on the bench. Uh, he wasn't used. It's it, it's over for City and Sane, is it? I assume. Well, it's not over yet, but it's certainly looking like it is. I mean. Um, Bayern obviously making no secret that they want him. Um, but they've got to make an offer that City accept. And I think the, the one thing from Sane's point of view is that he needs to be playing because if he wants to get back in the Germany team, he can't sit on City's bench for another 12 months. You know, he might, At the end of it, he might get a free transfer. But what's the point? You know, you, you, the, Germany have got the Euros coming up, the World Cup coming up. Um, he, he wants to be playing club football. There's no point hanging around City. So... I mean, I, I, I'm surprised from his point of view that he, he doesn't want Bayern Munich to make a bit of a statement and say, well, yeah, we really want this guy, so we're going to pay what he what he what he's worth. I mean, if you go back before the coronavirus pandemic, I mean, that's going to hit transfer fees. the The length of his contract left at City is going to also affect his value. But I think a hundred million euros for him. Last summer wasn't unreasonable when you when you consider some of the other players, some of the other wingers that have moved. You know that's that's what's being talked about for Sancho. That's what was paid more than that was paid for Dembele at Barcelona and and, and Sane. I would take above either of them. Yeah, um, I, I, let's talk about the game itself because uh, we're you know we're nearly fifteen minutes in and we've barely touched on it. Um, Chris City City looked a bit rusty at first. I think it was. I think I tweeted at one point that it, it's fair to say that this is the game. This is a game that's being played with a global pandemic in mind. Yeah, I mean it's inevitable, isn't it? A bit rusty. Uh, Arsenal started quite brightly, didn't they? As well, which is a bit. I mean, at first you're thinking, why aren't they looking as rusty as we are? But uh, I think that was soon put to bed. Um. De Bruyne was a bit sloppy at times as well. I know he got man of the match and he was absolutely fantastic on occasion, but even he looked a little bit, um, what's the word, fallible at times, especially in defence. But, you know, I, I am letting him off. Like I'm not being too, uh, too harsh. You're going to get that. Nobody's been uh, playing properly for some weeks. So, yeah, I'm really, really pleased with the overall performance. Really. Like you said, the they just got back into the groove, albeit um, slightly wobbly at the start. But yeah, it's almost as if John is it? Hope for. It's almost as if John isn't it that that um, the Guardiola style is just ingrained in them at this stage now. They they were able to kind of do it off muscle memory if they like even if the legs weren't quite there yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, you know, the movement was 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 all good. Um, I mean, Pep's never happy, is he? So he was still shouting at them right into the last minute. I mean. Benjamin Mendy, I thought, had a really good game. Uh, he, he, there was one incident in injury time where Arsenal had half a chance and and Pep was, was reminding him to get switched <laughs> on. And I thought, you know, that's that's what he demands. Um, and they've got time to, to build up. I mean, 
like I say, the title race is essentially over. I think the the one game that they should really be looking towards is, is Newcastle in the Cup because, um, you know, that's a, that's a trophy that can be won. I can't see City missing out on the top four. So they can go for the FA Cup and then at the end of it, really concentrate on the Champions League. Let's talk Eric Garcia because we touched on his defensive performance. Uh, he's now out of hospital, uh, so it's not as serious as it was as it was feared. Uh, but Chris, it, it looked nasty that that clash, didn't it? Looked really bad. Uh, I mean, when someone stays down for that long, you do start to worry. Um, the player's reaction was a bit of an odd one. Like um, Mendy was sort of had his shirt over his face, and you think, "Oh God, what's he seen?" But then after a couple of minutes, Edison, uh, I think it was Sterling, ran up to Edison. And they were kind of, they looked quite sort of... Um, sort of relaxed. Yeah. I mean, not not in a sort of, oh, we don't care, callous, disrespectful way, but the, their reaction is, that you, you know they've seen what's going on. So I kind of thought at that point, well, it can't be that bad. Um, you know, if they're, if they're kind of not being too weighed down by what they've seen. But it looked really bad at first. I mean, that that being said, Chris, I mean, we were both watching on TV. It was, it was a bit odd that it kept getting compared to the Mane incident. Yeah, really weird. I mean, to be honest with the Mane incident, I, I, I didn't really... If, if we're going to talk about that, for me, you can't expect a striker not to lift his leg toward that ball when he's thinking he might be through on goal. Edison came out with a lot less conviction than he did against Garcia, but he did get his head to the ball. I think the um, the going for the ball from Mane was as unavoidable as was the sending off. He, he was bound to go for it, and once you've done that and you connect with the goalkeeper's face, you're going <laughs> to get sent off. And I think maybe Edison, because that's always going to be in the back of your mind having happened to you, you're going to be like, well... I'm I'm the one clearing through this one. I'm not getting hurt. I was gonna say normal people would go. I might I might just I might not go for that one. Um, but but Edison's kind of the flip side of that, and, he's, and he and he's kind of ramped it up to twelve on that one. Then he's done. Yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to did he make a shout? Which he should have. He should have been shouting, you know, whatever. Well, he should have been shouting keeper, shouldn't he? Because Pep wants them all to communicate in English when they're when they're doing their job. But uh, for whatever reason, he either didn't shout or he didn't get heard or the, uh, the lad just didn't get out of the way. And it's just nice to see him uh, forcing a smile for the cameras today. <laughs> uh, John, Raheem Sterling, um, it was it felt like a much-needed goal because, I mean, he'd not scored since uh, since around about New Year time and his form was really struggling in the, in, in the time before the, the game got suspended. And so to come back with a goal, it just feels like the right thing, doesn't it? Well, I thought there was a couple of players who, who looked fresh, actually, whereas, you know, they've, they've given a lot over the last two and a half years. Um, you know, particularly when you, when you think of that title running last year, you know, it, was, it was pretty draining. It was it was draining watching it, never mind playing in it, having to win every game. You think, think of those games at Burnley and places like that. So I think I think there are a few players who will, will really have benefited from a break. I know they don't want it, um, and, and they've got to be careful of injuries and stuff like that. But I thought he, he looked fresh. I thought I also thought David Silva looked really fresh as well. Um, he's, he he's enjoys... someone, yeah, he's someone who's looked a bit leggy as well recently. Yeah, and he he probably enjoys the no, not being a, no fans there because he he could just turn up and go home without really out any without any fuss. <laughs> um, so I thought I thought they looked good. I thought I also thought Carl Walker. He's obviously had his issues during lockdown. He, in the papers for the wrong reasons and I think he's been raring to just get out onto the pitch and I thought he was up for it as well yeah Chris you mentioned uh, Kevin De Bruyne a goal and a, a kind of assist I'm going to give it to him um generally excellent passing as well after that yeah. after that start um and a decent penalty we've got a penalty taker I know who knew that he'd be able to put a ball uh, where he wants from 12 yards amazing isn't it um yeah like I say it was a bit sloppy but he's vision and his tenacity was a step above everybody else you know where there's like a 60-40 ball in Arsenal's favour and he'll get there and get his toe on it and go past the mat there was an occasion where 
He gave away a free kick by winning yeah, the ball. Yeah, that was yeah. not a free kick. That's not a free kick in Another a million years. Another one for the years. Anthony Taylor problems. Well, it's just ridiculous. But I think common sense needs to be applied to the assists as well. Like, how is that not his assist? I mean, oh, because it touched somebody else. I don't care. Like, he's 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 made that passage of play happen. That is his assist. That's just common sense for me. Um, it, just my opinion, but it's, if it goes it down as his, he breaks the record. So um, I'm all I'm all for it being his. Oh, absolutely. Now, John uh, Guardiola has talked quite quite extensively in in past seasons about fixture list congestion, and and the, uh, I think his phrase a few years ago was uh, we're, "we're killing the players" sort of thing. Um, he's obviously not particularly happy with the the schedule uh, of how often City are going to play in the next few weeks. It's it's kind of unavoidable, though. Um, did he use his squad well enough? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he made all five substitutions. Um, was there were around 65, 70 minutes. Nobody got any muscle injuries. Well, it it, it didn't appear that anyone got any muscle injuries. Um, and you and you can think now. You can look at those players who who played an hour or half an hour and think actually, you, and also the ones that stay on the bench and think, you know, you could almost get a whole new team to face Burnley. You, know, you bring in, well, I won't go through all the names, but. That that bench plus John Stones, Cancelo, um, and, and you've got a team there that that can beat Burnley still. So that might be the way he, he goes about it. I think some of the players almost have to be reined in a bit. I mean, I thought De Bruyne was brilliant, and he gave it everything in the same way that we've seen him. That made, I mean, how many times have we seen him play week in? Well, play twice a week, and then he's still the one running harder than anybody else. And you think, oh. Just, you know, just take a take a bit off. Um, Don't get injured. So, yeah, yeah. So I think maybe they, maybe Pep has to be a little bit careful because because you know that it's a football game. You know, it's it's the same as as playing five a side down the down the leisure centre or whatever. It might not they might not be going for the league, but they still want to win and they still want to give everything. So they've got to be careful of these injuries. So I I think we'll see a lot of rotation and. Probably the use of five subs in every game for the next few games. Are the fans going to get to see more of Foden as well, John? Because they're, they're crying out for it. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, he, he was great when he came on. Um, I, I was just watching the, the third goal. He, he was, he's the one who picks it up from Edison, I think, on the edge of his own box. Uh, sorry, lays it into Edison on the edge of his own box. Um, and he's at the end of it, finishing it off. So... Yeah, he, he's. He, I mean, I'm, I'm the same as everybody else. I want to see more of him, and this is a great opportunity to see more of him. Mm. There's no one, I, no one I want to see more on the ball than than Phil Foden, the way he moves with the football. He he just glides, Chris. He does, he does. Like his head's up, and he's still taking touch after touch after touch. Goes from foot to foot. He's moving around the pitch with it. His head's up. He's, he doesn't even need to look at it. He's just a ridiculous talent. It is indeed. Um, Aguero became City's first ever fifth substitute in this game. Uh, piece of trivia, guys. Do you know who the fir- first ever fourth substitute for City was? Uh, I, well, it, well, it must have been a cup game. It was. Um, I cheated and looked this up. So. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just well, stay, stay really know all this stuff? Like, <laughs> is it just easy to Google? So I stuck it in Google and thought, eh, but I bet I knew it anyway. But yeah. Right. I don't know well, who it is. Well, Chris, Chris has ruined it anyway. It's uh, it was Kalechi Iheanacho. Oh, was it? No, I'm only joking. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he came he came on as a sub in the FA Cup uh, against Arsenal. So says his first ever fifth, uh, fourth, and fifth substitutes were against Arsenal, but not in this league game. Good, good facts. Top facts. <laughs> <laughs> he should be on QI. I don't think they do just uh, city specific facts, but uh, as soon as they do, I'm there. I am there. Right. Uh, well, uh, before kickoff on Wednesday, both City and Arsenal's players and staff and the officials took a knee to protest against racism. I've been speaking to the former City striker Leon Mike about the protest and what it means in the fight against racism. It's a nice gesture. You know, they had uh, Black Lives Matter on the, on the shirts and um, everyone took the knee before the game, which was great. Um, I'd like to see more action in terms of the Premier League themselves, uh, the FA themselves, um, taking action to combat racism as a deterrent rather than a punishment, um, you know, make make it so that people think twice about uh, being racist in any way, shape or form. 
So obviously we've uh, we've seen Raheem Sterling as well speak out uh, recently on uh, on Newsnight about the the protests in America. Um, it, it feels like this might be the start of uh, of something more than just lip service being paid to the issue of racism, does it? Well, I hope it is. Yeah, um, I hope there's a, a, a level of tolerance and a level of uh, understanding that comes from both sides here. Uh, and in particular, as I said, you know, we're pushing to um, make sure that people understand what we're saying is we understand everyone's lives matter. We do understand that. What we're saying is black lives matter too. We want to be involved in the all. Um, so what we want is for people in football um, to make sure that, you know, there's a strong deterrent there for, for, you know, the, the bigoted and racist people that, that spout their, their vitriol towards the players, whether it be at a match or online, it has to be stopped. We've seen in recent uh, kind of seasons that, that there's been a continuation of, of issues where it feels like this one needs to be the one that, that has that, that sparks that discussion. And I suppose for people like me as well, it needs to be a, an uncomfortable discussion. Yeah, it's not a comfortable discussion for anybody. Listen, whether you're black or, or white or, or whatever colour, this is not a comfortable conversation. Nobody wants wants to be out there protesting, not one person. They would rather things be um, you know, done in the right way, but they're not being done in the right way. So people are putting themselves in an uncomfortable position to fight for what they believe in. And that means that people on the other side who are listening and trying to learn are going to feel uncomfortable too, and that's fine. Because if we can come through this uncomfortable period together uh, with more of an understanding and uh, a, a perspective uh, of the other side, then, you know, we can move forward together until that point, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're divided. What do you make of um, of the way the Premier League has handled this? Because uh, obviously the, the the players had Black Lives Matter on the on the backs of their shirts in, in yesterday's games. Uh, and like we said, they took the knee be, uh, just before kickoff. Um, what what would you like to see as, as kind of like the next steps from this? Uh, major deterrence, David. I, I think what they're doing now is great. You know, they're, they're involved in the movement. They're, they're visibly making things um you know, or making decisions that, that seem to, to uh, veer towards, you know, getting rid of racism or any kind of discrimination, which is great. But moving forward, we have to see progress. We can't see clubs, uh, you know, with small... Fi- you know, they get for financial um, discrepancies, they get fined millions and millions and millions of pounds. If a player's caught being racist on on the field or fans have been caught, racist, caught being racist or their uh, institutional uh, racism complaints at a club. Those those kinds of fines are, are pennies to football clubs, the, the kind of money they make. So um, there needs to be strong deterrence moving forward, in my opinion. I suppose one of the things that, that we need to make clear about this as well is we're not particularly talking about, you know, just like incidents where people are called racist names. And it's it's kind of like a lot deeper rooted than that. And and that kind of idea of the difference between overt racism and covert racism and uh, and what that actually is. Well, yeah, uh, listen, I've, I've it's about perspective as well, David. I've had many chats with uh, guys who um, I grew up with in the same area, went to the same schools. Uh, played on the same football fields, you know, uh, honed our own game on the same fields. Uh, we're in each other's houses when we were younger and we've had to have discussions in terms of, um, you know, privilege and, and things they might not have seen. Look, if I've grown up with uh, a white guy who lives in the same area as me, who's come up in, in, under the same circumstances, went to the same schools, had the same circle of friends, and then when we get to 32, 33, 34... We start saying he's he's um, privileged because of his his colour of his skin. Of course, he's going to get his back up because he's not seen anything from my perspective. I know there are a lot of my friends that I used to 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 chill with or go and play football with um, when we were younger. They wouldn't have noticed the the racial undertones of some of the things that happened when we were younger. I barely did. I noticed them, but I barely you know realised what was happening. So that, that I can't expect them to to um, to understand that off the bat. We have to have a discussion. And that's me trying to see from their perspective and then trying to see from mine and then we can move forward. Do you think things have moved on from when you were playing? No, I don't think it's moved on. Um, Listen, I I had a short career, um, but in that short career, yeah, I I faced uh, some racial racial abuse. Um, And it's hard to say uh, kind of how I felt at the time. You know, I, I, I kind of 
when you're playing football, you you kind of just try and brush things off and 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 get on with it. That was the attitude back in the day. This new generation, um, they're not going to take it. Um, so if anything's changed, it's that it's the, the new generation of player um, who are not going to accept. You know, being I mean, some of the stuff that's said to them, whether it be online or on a pitch, disgusting. So no, um, I don't think anything changed in terms of structure or levels of racism. Um, but I do feel that now this generation of football player is speaking out a lot more about it and the conversation now is actually being had uh, between everybody and not just black people who feel affected by it. How do you think it would it would change if we had more uh, black and ethnic minority faces in, in positions of power at places like the FA and uh, uh, football clubs? Well, for me... It, it... This, this is, and again, when we talk about football, let's be straight, racism is a societal problem. So it's not racism in football, it's just racism full stop. Um, and when we talk about boardrooms in football, that's fine, but we can talk about this throughout uh, the country or throughout the culture. Um, in terms of seeing more black faces in, at boardroom level, that would be great uh, because you need representation. And the reason you need representation is because you need someone to tell your story. You need someone to say, actually, no, that can't be done because of X, Y, and Z, or that has to be done because of X, Y, and Z. But at the minute, there's this very small representation. Um, if you look at the amount of black players that have been in the Premier League in the last 20-odd years and look at the, the amount of black players that are on boards or in higher positions in clubs, even managers, it's very, very huge discrepancy, um, and that needs to be addressed. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Leon Mike speaking to me there. Uh, it's time to look forward to City's coming games and it's hard to keep up with the fixtures at the moment given that they've all moved out of the place. So it's, uh, it's Burnley at home on Monday. Uh, that's an 8 o'clock kickoff, and then Chelsea away on Thursday. That's an 8.15 kickoff, which might mean that next week's podcast is a little bit late because uh, obviously we, we normally record on Thursday nights. Um... Chris, you mentioned it before about Liverpool and, and the title. Uh, Liverpool can't now win the league against Everton, uh, but it, it's, it's only a matter of time, really, isn't it? So it, it's about momentum, these games, for City, surely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's about momentum in the league to help with the other competitions, isn't it? Like FA Cup, um, this weird little Champions League thing, round-robin job. What I don't even know what's happening with that, to be honest. I know that it... If we do get to the final, I don't want to curse us or jump the gun too much, but it's likely going to be played in an empty stadium in Lisbon. Is that right? Yeah, I think oh, that was the last I'd heard. But I, I mean, then again, like talk about Liverpool winning the league and having an asterisk next to it. If City were to win this Champions League, it would feel like the same sort of treatment, wouldn't it? Yeah, but it's, the Champions League isn't my main concern anyway. Um, I'll. I'm going to be absolutely wounded if we get to a final in Lisbon and we're not allowed to go because Lisbon is amazing. Uh, I'm <laughs> probably going even if I don't have a ticket. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just really, really surreal and weird. And the game against Madrid is going to be really odd. I mean... There's such an advantage at having a home crowd, and on a night like that, it's kind of we're in a, a really a position that we don't exactly find ourselves in too often, and to not have the option to go and to, for the team not to have the crowd behind them is just uh, just really really sad. Yeah, um, John. For for the games Burnley and Chelsea, um, there, there's also the chance that these these two games are, are, are sort of like a build up to next season as well. I, I think of how the how the run in in Guardiola's first season kind of shaped the next one, if if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I think it's, it's really an opportunity to. I don't think he'll be looking that far ahead. I think he, I, I think it would just be using these games as a way to get back into. Fully into rhythm, and and easing the way back to full fitness. So I think it's I still still think I've maybe a few games away yet before they start thinking about 
that that sort of momentum going into the Champions League and into next season. I think it's it's still, I think they're still tiptoeing back into playing matches again. Do you think at this stage he is like, for instance, he started Garcia against Arsenal. Um, Garcia is not going to be playing against Burnley because it's too soon. He's supposed to wait six days after being concussed. Is it? Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, you think Otamendi or Stones alongside Laporte. Do you think certain players like Otamendi and Stones, they're not just playing for selection, they're playing for their sort of city careers, aren't they, city futures? Well, Otamendi wants out, doesn't he? He's, he, he, he's, he was he was looking for a mover like a, 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 in the summer, but then the, the the decision of company to move kind of blindsided City, didn't it? So, yeah, that is yeah that is a point. But, I mean, you know what footballers are like. Is he still of that frame, frame of mind? Yeah, but I think the other thing is... is what happens with money because of the pandemic, because mm. there's going to be a lot less money about. So if you're on a good contract at City and you're... Stick or twist. Well, yeah, if you're getting on a bit, you, it's going to be difficult to get a, a, a contract to match that. So that might that might be difficult. Um, Stone, yeah. Stones, we know, has got everything to his game. You know, he's su- such a gifted defender. Um, but he's got these ricks in him, and he he can't seem to iron them out. And if he can get rid of those, he's the perfect City player, perfect Guardiola player. But Look, it's it's been three four, attitude with him, doesn't it? Well, it's been three or four seasons now, and um, I'm not not really sure how much progression he's made. You know, he was he had great potential when he was signed, and he's still got great potential, and he's still young enough to improve. Um, but it needs to start happening. Let's talk. I mean, like looking at Laporte as well, John, because given how long he'd been out before the pandemic caused football to break, um, does he need to be carefully managed in these next few weeks, especially? Yeah. Um, he, I mean, Pep spoke about him and Sane being extremely cautious with those. So I wouldn't be surprised if the whole back four changed against Burnley and then, and then went again against Chelsea because that's... You, well, maybe not Garcia, maybe Fernandinho or something like that. Maybe starts Otamendi and Stones against uh, Burnley and, and plays um, Fernandinho and Laporte against Chelsea. Um, you know, like I said, City, City have enough quality to be able to change the whole team. So it's just going to have to be so careful. So, so why not just do that? Yeah, um, Chris, do you think uh, do you think we might see Sane in the next few weeks at all? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think we will. Um, I don't think Pep is of the sort of mind frame that even if he thinks he's definitely going, and I don't, by the way, think that is definite. Um, but even if he is definitely going, he's still Sane's going to want to play football, which he's pretty good at. So and he's and he's still a City him. player until he's until he's gone, isn't exactly. he? Exactly. Yeah. Use the weapons you've got in your armory um, while while they're there. Otherwise, you're just cutting your nose off to spite your face, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, um, final question, John. Is is there an advantage for City having played a game now that they're not getting thrown straight back into it at the same time Burnley are, so that, that they might be able to start this game quite quickly? So is that an advantage to City? Yeah, to to uh, to uh, have kind of got a game out of the way and under the belts. No, I don't think so. I don't. I mean, I, I'm sure Burnley have played behind uh, closed doors in friendlies, so it's it's kind of the same thing. So I don't, I don't really see any difference. I think it is. I think it's a, it's always a bit of a difference between like a behind closed doors friendly and a the hurly burly of a game with no fans. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, we didn't manage a win on our first charity bet of the restart, which means we're still on seven hundred and fifty pounds for the season so far. Uh, we're raising money for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester, and we're doing it by trying to predict City scores with William Hill. Um, I'm going to start for uh, the Burnley game because I've gone for three nil, which is eleven to two and fifty five pounds, and then for Chelsea, I've gone for two one to City, which is seven to one and seventy pounds. Uh, John, what are you having for uh, for the two games well I think Burnley have got a few injury problems so I've gone for 4-0 in that one uh, 4-0 um, is 15-2 to two, so £75 if you're right and uh, 3-1 away win at Chelsea a confident 3-1 away win is 12-1 uh, to one, so £120 if you're right on that one and uh, Chris what are you having for uh, where are you going for Burnley what's, uh, what's your score for that 
Oh, right. I thought you meant where I'm going to watch it. Um, I'll come to well, that in a minute. Been, oh, fair enough. I've been pretty similar, actually. I've gone four for City, but I've um, I've gifted them a one. So 4-1 City-Burnley. At some point, City's defence will give out, won't they? 12-1, uh, to one, um, which is £120. And Chelsea? I've gone for 3-City to City again, but I've uh, been generous enough to predict two goals for Chelsea. I hope you're right, uh, because it's an absolute goal it's an absolute goal fest and it'd be a money fest as well. £180, 18 to 1, if you're right on that one. Well, you know, I do try. Well, uh, fingers crossed for you. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, check out begambleaware.org. Uh, now, before we move on, on last week's show, we were giving away three copies of the new David Silver El Mago books. Uh, the competition is closed and we've got the winners here. We were asking, what squad number is David Silver and what squad number has he worn ever since he arrived at City? So, guys, do you want to fill us in with the answer? Uh, I'm not very good at squad numbers. It's 21. Yeah, it's 21. 21. I was going to say, don't get this one wrong, John. Goodness me. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for for all of your entries and congratulations to Andy Noyes in Derby, Charlotte Wilkes in Kenilworth and Ben Thompson in London. Uh, The copies of the books will be on their way to you shortly. Is it not El Magoo? I thought it was El Magoo. I don't know. I've just said El Mago. Because he's such a Bert. (laughs) Oh, God, Chris. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, You will be. You will be. (laughs) Right, it's time for Howard Hawking. Hello there, I'm back. We are back. Football is back. Where have you been all this time? I hope you're well and the cabin fever is subsiding. Looking out my window, it seems most people are over the lockdown. In fact, quite a few seem pretty certain the coronavirus was just a passing phase. Like flares and those cream jeans I unfavorably wore between the ages of 18 to 21. What was I thinking of? Anyway, no need to worry ourselves anymore, as a stiff upper lip and the blitz spirit has seen it off. The coronavirus, that is, not the jeans. And weeks later than the rest of the world, football is back. And it's live. I've mellowed on the return of football. It may be one box-ticking exercise designed to save sponsorships, allay stakeholder fears and fend off possible lawsuits. But I'm at the stage where even Burnley vs Bournemouth on my TV is better than the blank screen. Just. There's only so much Taskmaster and Spingwatch a man can watch. Hell, even a documentary on FCUM would be welcomed right now. Okay, I've gone too far. But the truth is I don't feel players are particularly at risk returning to action, unless if you play with Edison that there is always the chance that a few positive tests will bring this particular house of cards crashing down. But I've always favoured the season being finished, as time is a fluid concept, so why not? It was the dates that concern me, but time will tell on that score. The need to return to football was always touted, or marketed I should say, as a morale booster during difficult times. That was always a load of bull feces, of course, the need to return clearly a financial one. I thought initially it was down to greed, and whilst there may be some of that, it soon became clear that the need was rather more compelling than we probably realised. Premier League teams are not as filthy rich as we may have thought, except the few teams at the top, and City might have their own financial drain soon enough if Cass aren't in a benevolent mood. Still, if a nil-nil draw at Villa Park doesn't raise your morale, then you're beyond redemption. Mentally, I'm still not ready for this return. It's almost a relief for me that there is little on the line for City in the league. The matches do not mean much, and in empty stadia that will suit me fine. I'll try and refresh my zest for league football for the start of next season, whenever that is. Normality is still a long way off. In the meantime, the world lost all sense, and even in our football bubble that seemed the case. With three months and no football, except in Belarus, which doesn't really count, it was our wonderful health minister that seemed hell-bent on keeping footballers relevant during difficult times. Many of us were surprised to discover that guiding a nation through an unprecedented global pandemic was not actually the role of the government of the time, but no, it was actually the responsibility of Norwich's left-back. It should surprise few that the government should deflect away from its own failings or divert responsibility of helping us get through this financially. Thankfully, the likes of Matt Hancock are not very good at this game anymore, the Jose Mourinho of modern politics. One of the weirder, more surreal aspects of the pandemic was the spotlight on footballers. Maybe I saw it more due to my football Twitter bubble. It was pretty easy to see wherever you were as a desperate, panicking, incompetent bunch of pathological liars tried to deflect the shit show they had helped create by trying to focus our attention on something and someone else. There's only so many times you can blame scientists after all. 
But why the emphasis on footballers who contribute a billion pounds in tax each year? Why do pop stars, movie stars and other top sportsmen escape such wrath? Not that they should get any, of course. None of them are remotely responsible in seeing us through a pandemic, nor obliged to spend our way out of it. It is down to individual choice, and of course countless sportsmen and more stepped up to the plate and made huge contributions. The players did the right thing. They organised, they discussed, they were not rushed, as the pandemic inevitably led to the rise of the need for instant confirmation of good deeds. They kept paying tax, set up an initiative to funnel money to the NHS, and made their own vast individual contributions. And let's be clear, it should never have been all about money. Kevin De Bruyne phoning someone who is lonely and afraid can have as big an effect as a financial donation. Play stood up to be counted on the whole. So did clubs too, though the Teflon coating on the outside of Anfield would ensure that Liverpool's botched attempts to furlough staff were soon forgotten, just like failing FFP hacking computers and all the rest. And Marcus Rashford is of course the latest example of doing the right thing. Rashford himself had a brush of the sterling treatment a couple of years ago, stories emerging that he was getting a bit too big for his boots. I don't have to spell out to you which sort of journals these rumours were printed in. It was Neil Ashton that led with stories on Marcus Rashford and his bling lifestyle. Bling, a term used for football, is usually only of one skin colour. How ironic then that Ashton now does PR work for United. Yet again we seem to have come full circle. He owes Marcus a debt of gratitude for making his new role that little bit easier right now. Ashton represents Carl Walker too, though. Fact is, Carl, if you need to hire a PR company, it's probably best you take a look at your own conduct and try and work things out for yourself. Though it's a nuanced topic to discuss how people act when in lockdown, as it affects us all differently, of course. These are unprecedented times. Elsewhere, talk sports resident tangoed renter gobbed Simon Jordan and actually had to have his say too, attacking the contribution of footballs. The go-to guy if you need guidance on how to run a club into administration, or need to take so hot that it could melt steel beams so that the phone lines are always rammed. He's been predictably quiet as footballers' acts have been laid out in front of his eyes, but that's generally how we should expect wind-up merchants, with little or no thought process behind their rants, to act. There was no desire to wait and see what footballers did, just the need to make instant character assassinations. I'd say he and the channel should be ashamed, but I'm pretty sure that an organisation owned by Rupert Murdoch is not aware of such an emotion. You see, sometimes there is no hot take. Often, in fact. There's no hidden agendas, no yeah buts, no what about it, there's no tribalism angle. There's just the act and the acceptable, decent response to make to it. And if you struggle to work out what your response to Marcus Rashford stopping kids starving is, then there's no hope for you. The irony should not be lost on any of us that when football's really started to do their bit, it forced the government into one of its many recent policy U-turns. Cue Matt Hancock calling him Daniel Rashford on national TV, straight from the Gary Cook book of social faux pas. Maybe we can excuse his incompetence on this occasion, the long hours having knock-on effects. Now that was far too much of politics, I apologise. What else is there to talk about there as we bounce off the walls? I haven't missed football much, and have not missed the ups and downs, and definitely not the tribalism. Some good has actually come of it all too. Many of us re- have reassessed life priorities and responsibilities. For me, that includes how I handle social media visits. And it was not football that made me see the light, but the detritus that rose to the surface during the global events of recent weeks and months. And the end result was being comfortable complimenting a United player. Anyway, it's back now, football that is, so let's rejoice. It will take more than football. Some games of varying quality and empty stadium will not prove much of a morale boost to the nation. And a goalless draw at Villa Park certainly won't. But it's a start. Baby steps and all that. And apart from the horrific looking Garcia injury late on, the return of City was okay. It was more than okay. It was as weird as they had anticipated, and I don't know what we can take from it, but it was nice to see the players out there. Well, playing. I've missed them, truth be told. I've missed David Luiz being David Luiz, though I've not missed the technology or Martin Tyler for so many reasons. But I've missed the essence of football, that net rippling, that feeling of a goal being scored. The endorphins, the release, and boy do we need a release. Maybe it's for the best that football is back after all. At least then we can talk about the game itself and even fans bemoaning the soulless experience is better than politicians sticking their nose. Hi, this is Gary Cook and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This 
is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. How we're talking there, and we're going to finish with Ask the Panel. Send your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well uh, via the website bluemoonpodcast.com. That's how Paul Johnston has been in touch first. He says the kit designs for next season are atrocious. How do they compare to your favourites and your least favourite kits that City have had? Um, uh, John, is there any that stand out as your favourite and, and, and least favourite? Oh, the Kappa years were fantastic. Uh, apart from the 99 playoff final, I didn't really like that one, uh, which I know a lot of people do. Sacrilege, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, the, the previous year, that the uh, yeah, the, 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 just the blue with the Kappa strip down the side, that was, I think that's my favourite home shirt. Chris, Laser uh, blue. Yeah, Chris, what, yeah. what are you having for, for your favourite? Well, I really like those as well. I mean, one of my favourite shirts is the Kappa away shirt, the white one with the um, it's got like dark blue uh, on the like a dark blue chest, white dark blue kappa down the side. I've got a long sleeve of that one. It's pretty nice. Um, it's, I can't remember. Honest, is, that the, is that the one that did it have brother in the maroon bar? Yes, brother was in Mar- yeah in in white in the maroon bar. I yeah, think. and then it had a dark blue top. Yes, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, um, but I really liked all the Umbro kits, not just the designs, but the actual quality of the kit was really good. I mean, it, on the badge it said, like, um, tailored by Umbro, and you think, oh, that's a bit pretentious, but they did have a more of a, of, of a tailored feel to them. And I really like the black and red stripe with the yellow uh, Etihad. The Eddie Dzeko kit, that's that's the one I think of, the, yeah. the, the Spurs game, yeah. But I totally agree. The the kit that's been put up for next season, some people like it. They're, they're wrong. Um, <laughs> like I don't know. I, I know that one. The home kit is supposed to look like the mosaic in it above um, the main stand entrance. See, I quite like road. that. I think that's all right. You've made a mistake, David, and we all do. <laughs> it's fine. But you know, so does the kit designer. You know, we're all human. But like, no, it's just it looks like. Uh, it looks like a, a swimming pool on holiday or something. It's weird. Yeah, I, I like, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I like swimming pools and I like holidays. Don't want to wear one. <laughs> I'm just yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not fussed about that. Um, my I think my favourite home shirt was the, the 2009 one. Um, I think that that's the Umbro one you're talking about, Chris. The the, the plain just just it's a perfect city shirt. Plain blue, uh, white trim, perfect material sort of. Is thing. that like yeah. a hoop neck? Uh, yeah. I think I've got a weird thing about that where I don't like it because the sort of powder blue uh, shade and the material make it feel a little bit like a baby grow, especially if you've got it in long <laughs> sleeves. I had no, I've never noticed that, but I'll never be able to put mine on again without spotting that. Um, John, well, worst worst kits. Um, I'd probably go for that orange one. Yeah, um, the yep. one they wore at Schalke. Yeah, like anything. Sort of yeah, anything orange. I hate it. Um, mm. Yeah, I think yeah, that's the worst one. Chris, how about yourself? Worst kits. I'm not a big fan of neon. Although I did come to like the 99 playoff final kit. Um, I don't like the tequila sunrise kit. It's just too garish and like. I mean, you wouldn't get run over in it. That's about the only <laughs> good thing I could say about it. Um, but worst kits. I've, I've never really like. I've not bought a city kit since Umbro, and I didn't really like the night kits. But over the years, I've come to like a few of them. You know, sort of nostalgia has lent them a, a kind of sort of um, view in my in my memory. What, what are you making of that um, of the Paisley one for next season? I just think it's weird. If you're going to make a Paisley kit, make a Paisley kit. It seems. I don't know, uh, but again, you know what I was saying about the night kits. Maybe that in in ten years will be a much sought after collector's yeah. item, and I'll be like, "Why did I not like that kit? What was wrong with me?" <laughs> no, I'm not. What do you think of it? Well, I think it looks awful, but I'm hoping that <laughs> I don't know. Some, sometimes you sometimes you see a picture and you think it's, it's that's a great kit, and then you you look at it and in real life, and it's not that it's not the best. Mm. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping it might be the other way around with that one that actually. When it's worn, it might look good. But it's the, odd how the, that can change, isn't it? Through sort of the yeah. lens of time. <laughs> I think honestly, one of my one of my least favourite kits is the one that they wear at home this season. 
A home city kit should not have purple on it. I massively agree. I do like the the, the black hacienda kit, kit though. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I that's, really that's, like that's that not one. Bad. Yeah, it's not bad. But, but uh, I know a few people who've got that, and they say the quality of the it's like the stitching's come apart on it and stuff. It's like, what's hmm. going on there? <laughs> I don't think I, I, I don't think it's the same ones that the players are wearing. So uh, I think that's the, uh, the, the, the probably the key difference. Um, well, again, that, I find that a little bit like you know you're paying sixty quid for a shirt, and oh yeah, well it's not a player's one, mate. It's a bit rubbish. Soz, <laughs> it's, like, it's not really good enough. <laughs> um, Alex Bailey on Twitter asks, uh, "Where was Jao Cancelo on Wednesday night? Does he no longer feature in Guardiola's plans?" John, what do you reckon? Well, if everyone's fit, then a couple of big names are going to have to miss out, and yeah, Cancelo's not really made an impact, has he, since he since he arrived? So it's kind of an obvious one to miss out. He'll he'll feature at some point in the next in the next two games. I've got no doubt about that, but. Long term transfer yeah. rumors are a bit weird, though, given he's he's a fairly new signing. Yeah, but you think he, he was brought in to challenge Kyle Walker, um, and he just hasn't done. There's no doubt that Walker is the first choice right back. So, but and I've always, you know I've always said that it can take some players a bit of time to get used to playing in a Guardiola team. I mean, look at Bernardo's first season. Look at Mares. Riyad Mares. There's, there's plenty of examples. So. He could come good, but I think if a decent offer came in for him in the summer, I wouldn't be surprised if he went somewhere else. I think Pep really rates Carl Walker, doesn't it? It was interesting to hear his description of him post-match yesterday. He was talking about, he's going through the players and he was like, yeah, he's done good, he's done well, he has been really good. And then he just went, Kyle Walker, he is just an amazing specimen of a man or something <laughs> like that. It's just like, quite taken with Kyla. You know, wonder Cancelo's not even been picked. <laughs> uh, Matthew Toole on Facebook uh, asks, do you think that playing behind closed doors highlights the importance of the fans or actually might it make the clubs think they're less important as the money rolls in regardless? Uh, Chris, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, there's, a, there's a danger of that, isn't there? As, as we sort of go for global domination and revenue streams are looking up, despite what UEFA might think. I don't know. I hope not. There's, there's always this. Uh, it always seems like a widening disconnect, doesn't it, between club and fans? And I'd like to think that isn't the case. I'd like to think that the players feel a negative difference when when we're not there. Um, I suppose you know, though, at, at the nub of the question, it, it, it kind of, it's kind of getting at the, at the idea that does it matter if City have 50,000 people in the stadium or 30,000 people in the stadium paying more if the result on the pitch is the same and, the, and they don't notice the, the impact on, on, on the finances? Time will tell. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer. Um, I know where it's going, but as in the question rather than the actual uh, relationship with the fans. But I don't know. No, I, I, I think I think the the club, without wanting to do the PR on behalf of the club, they, you know, they they still do so much work for the community and stuff like that. So the fans are very much part of the ethos of the club. So I think they'll they'll be desperate to get them back. But the the one thing to think is how things have changed massively in recent years is that City are getting this increasing fan base overseas now. So they they're having to balance sort of um, dealing with both sets of fans who were, who were sort of love the club in, in different ways. It's kind of like yeah. spinning so many different plates at the same time. Yeah. it's it's. I think the fact that they keep putting season t- ticket prices up and they really don't need to, um, it's not like they, they're needing to squeeze us to glean an extra few quid out of us to keep the club afloat or to pay for the roof on the main stand or anything like that kind of scenario as it might have been in the past the fact that they keep putting those prices up when we're talking about the fans which sort of fans are we talking about I don't I think there's they view it as less important to have the the traditional fan base shall we say I think it's inevitable isn't it it's already happening so, who are we to say it isn't going to carry on in that, that fashion? 
Right, well, uh, on that uh, pessimistic note, uh, that's it for today's Blue Moon podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, If you've enjoyed the show, then please don't forget to give it a rating and a review and tell all your friends about it. Uh, If you'd like some more, then we're talking about defensive disasters on this week's Patreon bonus show. That's after David Louise's Comedy of Errors on Wednesday night. Uh, If you'd like to listen to that, that's available for $2 a month for backers on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. Special thanks to my two guests, Jonathan Smith. Thank you. And Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much. I'll be back next week. I'll see you then. Take care. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.